You're listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. We are going to carry on in our series called Behold, and uh, we're going to be looking at a passage today. Uh, We're going to be beholding the meal, and we're going to look at a passage that's found in Matthew chapter 26. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to begin in uh, in verse 26. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, in honor of God's word, uh, let's stand together. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and, after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thanks, Pauline. Let's, uh, let's take a moment and let's pray. God of all grace, we thank you for your grace and we come before you recognizing that we are completely dependent upon you. So we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that you would soften hard hearts and grant us an openness to receive from you this morning. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're doing a series, and we just, and John started it last week, called Behold. And as, as John reminded us last week, that uh, where we put our attention, where we fix our gaze, actually shapes the people we're becoming. Where you put your attention the most will affect your heart. Um, and when we put our attention on things that, uh, well... When we put our attention on things that are not life-giving, it sucks the life out of us. The Bible talks about idolatry. Now, what is idolatry? What is an idol? An idol is simply anything that we give ultimate value to other than God. And in the the Old Testament in particular, it, it gives us some pretty stark warnings. It says, you know, you have to be careful where you fix your attention. Uh, Because... Where you fix your attention, it says you, you actually will become what you worship. And one of the warnings in the Old Testament is, hey, be careful about the idols, because idols in their very nature are dead. And when we fix our attention, our ultimate attention on anyone other than God, it will kill our soul. We can fall into all sorts of addictions and slowly die in, on the inside. But, but when we fix our attention on life, we receive life. And so we become what we worship. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author of life, we will come alive. Our lives will flourish. And there's a reason for that, because only God, who is our creator, can bear the weight of our soul. Nobody else can bear the weight of our soul. 
Only God can. Now, many of you know this. And I'll tell you, it's easy for me to say this. You know, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We, 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 we know that. But man, is it ever hard to do this? I don't know about you, but I'm distracted all the time. There are so many things in my life that draw my attention away from Jesus. A lot of them are on my iPad, you know, just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And so I think it's important for us to do, this morning, we're going to do some healthy beholding. Um, and our invitation to, this morning is to behold, to turn our attention um, to what ultimately matters in life. And so this morning, we are going to behold the meal. What is known as the Lord's Supper, sometimes known as Holy Communion, or the Eucharist. And so this is what we're going to look at. Now, right from the beginning, we need to realize that the Lord's Supper is a gift. It is a gift to the church. It is a gift to you and to me. The Lord's Supper is a gift. But here's my question. Do we see it that way? Now, <laughs> I remember... Um, as a kid, like I didn't go to church hardly at all. But um, when I did go to church, I remember coming in into the church building and looking up front. And if I saw all the trays, I'm like, oh, man, this is going to take forever. <laughs> Fortunately, none of you ever think that, right? Like, I even remember, like, just full disclosure, Pastor Mark and I, I mean, over the years when, when we would be planning Services. We'd, we'd plan out the service and like, oh, good. Hey, this is going to be a good service. And then we go, oh, man, we forgot. It's communion this weekend. This is going to be a really long service, you know. And we would see communion sometimes as an interruption to our plans. And sometimes we look at communion in service as, as, as sometimes an inconvenience. And, and here's the problem. Over time... Rites can become rote, right? Rites that are supposed to bring life, to, co to communicate profound realities of God, can become rote. They can become just habits. And before you know it, you're taking a little wafer, and you're taking the wafer, and then you take a, you know, a little thimble full of juice, and you drink the juice, and your mind's somewhere else, but it's just something you've got to do before the end of the service. And sometimes we forget, and we do things, and we forget what they mean. So this morning, what I'd like you to do is, I want to invite you to behold the meal, the Lord's Supper. And you have to realize that, you know, when you look at the Lord's Supper, and some of you are new to church, and you're like, well, I don't even know what's in these trays. What's going on here? Uh, we're going to be taking bread, and we're going to take juice that have uh, simple things, but have extraordinary meaning, because they represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And uh, it is a strange ritual when you think about it. You're celebrating the body and the blood of Jesus. You're taking the body and you're taking the blood of Jesus. Um, it is a bit strange. But you need to know that it's always been strange. In the early church, in the second century, in the third century, whenever the church would gather together and they take uh, the Lord's Supper, um, people on the outside saw these Christians as one strange bunch. And you know what they accused them of? No? <laughs> Close. 
They accuse him of cannibalism. Yes, cannibalism. It's like, what kind of freaky people are these? We, we're listening, and behind the door, we can hear they're talking about eating the body and the drinking the blood of some guy named Jesus. These guys are crazy. They're cannibals. I'm serious. That's what they thought. So why do we do this as a church? Well, I think in many ways, the Lord's Supper is... is is Jesus' invitation to us, it's his revelation to us of what he is all about. And in this passage that we just looked at, we find Jesus speaking words of love and giving us gifts of grace, bread and wine. And he is inviting us into an encounter with him. Because in the Lord's Supper, actually we're invited to worship. The moment you come to the table, the moment you come to Jesus... You're participating in worship. And you're proclaiming truth. And so we read in this passage, this picture, we come across this picture of the Lord's Supper. In verse 26, we read um, in Matthew's account, now as they were eating, Jesus and his disciples, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, This is my body. So let me set the scene. You got the disciples and Jesus gathered together on the night that Jesus is betrayed and arrested, right? And they're having an evening meal. And within the meal, at one point in the meal, Jesus takes the initiative. He takes some bread and he he prays an appropriate Passover blessing over the bread. Now, what is Passover? Well, it's the time of year... Uh, that Jews would remember, one, that they were once slaves in Egypt. Two, because of God's amazing grace, they were delivered out of slavery into freedom. And three, they would remember at the center of this rescue, they would remember that there was a moment where the people of God were to slaughter a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it on their door frames. And so that when God's judgment came upon Egypt, it would pass over every house that had the blood of the lamb over its, over its door, door frame. And that people would be set free. Now, this was the event in Jewish memory. You have to realize this. This is super important. It was the event in, in Jewish memory. And, and when, when Jews would, would, would celebrate Passover, they would remember not only what God had done in delivering them out of, out of slavery into freedom, they would say, God, do it again. Do it again. Deliver us from these no good, rotten Romans who are running the show. Do it again. Deliver us into freedom. Send someone to rescue us. Send your Messiah, your Savior, to rescue us and deliver us out of slavery. And so in this, in this meal, what do we see? Jesus takes bread. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it to the disciples. Okay, so Jesus took. He blessed. He broke. He gave Who's doing all the work here? It's just Jesus, right? It is Jesus who initiates, blesses, breaks, gives in the supper. You and I actually don't bring a lot to the table here. And so we need to get that because the Lord's Supper is a gift from Jesus from beginning to end. 
And then he says, he gave it to the disciples. So who is this meal for? Who is the bread and the juice for? It is for disciples of Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper is not a meal for general consumption. The Lord's Supper is not for those who say, you know, I kind of like Jesus. He's kind of like Buddha. I like his teaching. Seems kind of cool. I kind of like the idea of Jesus. I like some of his stuff. No. The Lord's Supper is for followers of Jesus Christ. For disciples. And I know, I know in our world of inclusivity, this is a bit awkward for you and I to hear. But it's important and it's true. And it was even, I mean, if it helps, it was even more awkward in the early church. Because in the early church, people would be gathered together. And when it came time for the Lord's Supper, anyone who was not a disciple was asked to leave. And then it was just done among, among believers. Now, one of the things that we need to see here is, I mean, I think an important question, and the question that I have for you is this, is are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Now, don't mishear me. I didn't say, are you a perfect disciple of Jesus Christ? If you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've given your allegiance to Jesus and you trust him for forgiveness and eternal life, then you can come to the meal, come to the table. And here's the other thing. Some of you are here this morning and you're like, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I wasn't there, but I'd like to be there. I actually would like to be a disciple of Jesus. I would like to follow him. I would like to align my life with the author of life. I, I would like to do that. Well, here's the thing. This morning, you can come to the table and in coming to the table, you are aligning yourself to Jesus. And you'll encounter Jesus, maybe for the first time. Okay? Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body. A couple things to see here is, one, this is a command from Jesus. It's not a suggestion. He says, take and eat. If you are a follower, you come to the table and take and eat. And secondly, he says, Jesus says, this is my body. Now, he could have said, this is my love, this is my spirit, this reflects my presence, and all that would have been true. But notice what Jesus says. He says, this is my body. And so what we need to know is that there's a physicality, an earthiness to Jesus' command. And, and we need to recognize that uh, we live in a world that loves to spiritualize things. We like spiritual things. But the Bible is extremely earthy. If you read the Bible, oh, it is very, very earthy. And, and people don't get that. They think, oh, you know, it's all about spiritual things up there. I'm not really into that. No, the Bible is super physical. Jesus' spirit doesn't slip away when he's about to die. Jesus dies literally an excruciating death on a Roman cross. His body suffered. His body stopped functioning on the cross. And so we're reminded again that Jesus Christ is not a philosophy. That Jesus is not a worldview. He's not a way of life. But Jesus is the incarnate son of God. 
And so we don't really have a lot of space for, for, there's no space to say, you know, I like the idea of Jesus. He's not an idea. He's incarnate. And what it tells us, when Jesus says, this is our body, this is, this is my body, it tells us uh, that, that bodies matter too. It, it, it keeps us from thinking that how we treat our bodies doesn't matter. And it prevents us from thinking that Jesus Christ, his life and death on the cross and resurrection are not important. But there's even more going on here. Jesus, he's having a meal with his disciples and it's a Passover meal, right? Because he does a Passover blessing. It's a Passover meal. Well, the food that they would eat, the food and this entire experience symbolized the Exodus, God delivering his people into freedom. And when Jesus says, I am the food, what is he saying? He says, I am the means by which you can be free. I am salvation. I am the means by which you could be freed from all the things that enslave you, all your addictions. Pornography. Consumerism. Envy, anger, greed. Basically all the seven deadly sins if you took my class <laughs> recently. But Jesus is saying, hey, are these things killing you? I am, I am the way of escape. I am the way of freedom. And so, when I, this is my body. When you take this, you're saying... It's through me. Jesus is saying it's through me that you can be free. It is for freedom that I came to set you free. And this is quite the gift. Jesus says, come, take, eat. Now, why is Jesus doing this? Why is he offering us this? Now, it's a simple reason, but very profound. You know why he's doing this? It's because he actually really, really, really loves you. Now, if you've been going to church for a while, you'll know, yes, yes, I know Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? You know all these things, right? But the challenge of the Christian life, and you know this, the challenge of the Christian life is learning to believe what we say we believe, right? Because every one of us would say, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me. But do you know he loves you? Not humanity, but he loves you. And so many ways, the Lord's Supper, I like the way this one guy, Dale Bruner, puts it. He says, the Lord's Supper, the bread and, and, and the wine, are God's hugs. It's, 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 it's expression of God's love for us. And that is why the Lord's Supper is also called what? The Eucharist. Now, what does that word mean? Think of the word Eucharist is made up of two parts. U, E-U, which means good, and charis, which means grace. It is God's good grace that is on offer in the Lord's Supper. So let's keep going here. Verse 27, look what it says. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus took a cup. What is going on here? Well, the bread represents the incarnate Son of God. The, the cup the wine represents what Jesus has done for us on the cross. His atoning sacrifice on the cross. And he gave thanks in prayer and he gave it to them. And he says, drink this, all of you. 
all of you. Now, as, as John pointed out last week, in the Bible, all tends to mean all. All. That's what it means, all. Now, one of the awkward questions I, I, I was wondering this week when I was reading this is, is this, is, did Judas take the cup? Was Judas there? The one who betrayed Jesus? Did he take the cup? Was this maybe um, one last appeal from Jesus to Judas to repent and receive forgiveness? Jesus says, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Last week, um, in a class that I'm teaching, I spent a lot of time on blood. <laughs> and some of you who are new to church, you're like, what's with you Christians and blood? Like, that's kind of gross. Um, you know what? And, 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 and you wouldn't be alone. A lot of churches are increasingly hesitant to talk about blood. Um, they, you know, some people look at you know, all this talk about blood as some kind of medieval hangover. And, and the other thing is that there's a real push to, to, to exclude blood from the songs we sing. Because it sounds weird, but as Christians, not only do we like talking about blood, we like singing about blood. Um, <laughs> I remember years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine. And she got so mad at me because we're singing this song. And in the song is, he has washed us with his blood. It's an old John Newton tune. Um, and she's like, oh, you can't sing that. That's just, that, that's just weird. People are going to think we're weird. I'm like, well, it's, I don't know. It's better than this one. And this is a William Cooper, 18th century one. Um, that goes, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. I mean, we could have sang that one. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunged beneath the flood of blood uh, lose all their guilty stains. I said, well, we could have sung that one. Now, I get it. It is awkward. But blood actually stands at the center of the story of salvation through Jesus Christ. Without the blood, the power and the meaning of the cross is emptied. And if you actually read throughout the Bible, blood shows up everywhere. I mean, here's just a sample. Uh, here's a blood sample. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> Sometimes I should just keep things inside my head. Um, Acts 20, verse 28 be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood, right? Um, Colossians 1, for in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. You know that you were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Hebrews 13, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. But Jesus, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. So blood shows up everywhere. Now, we have to get this. Blood is not the church reveling in the gory details of the crucifixion. That's actually not what it's all about. In fact, the description of the crucifixion is, is, is pretty quick in the Bible. 
What seems to be happening is something else. The blood, in many ways, is being used. The word is used as a synecdoche. There's a fun word for you today. A synecdoche. And synecdoche, say it with me, synecdoche. Synecdoche. All right, use that three times today. Hey, that's quite the synecdoche that David was saying. You know, just three times and it's yours. The synecdoche is a figure of speech where a part is made to represent the whole. So you say, you follow the flag. Doesn't mean you're actually following a piece of cloth with, you know, red bars on both sides and a red maple leaf in the middle. It's, it's not about the cloth. It's about what the flag represents, right? Or the ring, right? It is what the ring represents, So what is being pointed to when we use the word blood all the time? Well, what's being pointed to is salvation and rescue. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we have been rescued. By drinking the wine, which represents the blood of Jesus, we are drinking in salvation. And this blood has been given, as, as, as Matthew writes, for many. And actually what that means, is it actually means, that when it says many, it actually means all. And Jesus' blood is being poured out for the whole world. And so if you're a member of this whole world, Jesus' blood was poured out for you. But you need to come. You need to come. And one of the things about the Lord's Supper is that in many ways is quite portable. Around the world in different places, um, the Lord's Supper is being celebrated today. I remember uh, Pastor Mark, um, he had, uh, and it was the coolest thing. I don't know why he didn't give it to me. Um, it was like a little portable communion set. And uh, I would often take it. I would go to a hospice, someone who would be dying, and we'd take communion together. And it was, it was just such a powerful moment. And that's it. Like it, could be, it could go anywhere. And you'd sit down with someone, and you knew they only had days to live. And you'd say, this is the body, and this is the blood, and the blood means the worst thing that you experience in this hospice, death, will not be the last thing the last thing will be eternal life, right? See, I think the deepest need that we all have is the forgiveness of sins. And every one of us has done things that we shouldn't have done or we haven't done things that we ought to have done. And a lot of people struggle with guilt. Some of you here this morning struggle with a lot of guilt. You think, man, I've done so many horrible things. God is really, really mad at me. He hates me. Well, the Lord's Supper says to you this morning, no, that's not true. It's not true. Yes, our sins do offend God. And yes, our rebellion against God does create a separation between us and God. But, and one of my favorite two words in the Bible is, but God, because of his great love for us. But God, behold the meal. Our sin and judgment will no longer have the final word. Jesus' blood over us is the last word about our status in God. And what Jesus' blood over us means is that you and I are new creations, that we are adopted sons and daughters of the Most High. This is powerful. And then look at verse 29. Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 
Now listen to the mystery here. Jesus is saying something that you and I really need to hear this morning. In the same way that the Lord's Supper superseded the Passover Supper, Jesus says, you know what? There's another supper that's coming that's going to be greater than this. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus says, there's going to come a day. That day, which will come soon. That day, which will be the consummation of all things. That day, when the Son of God returns. That day, there'll be a glorious banquet. In the presence of the Father, and the beginning of eternal life. A life where, as C.S. Lewis puts it, where it's like a, like, a, like, a, like a novel with each chapter being better than the chapter before. And then Jesus says this, he says, I long for the day where I can drink and I can eat and I can feast. And you get, get these words, with you. With you. Jesus is saying to us this morning, do you want to know how much I love you? My greatest expectation is that day where I will eat with you. Do you believe that? Yeah. On that day, everything will be new. New heaven, new earth, new bodies. Everything will be completely new. And so the Lord's Supper really is a story of hope. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, between the services and we're just saying the importance of hope. We live in a world where people have lost hope. And do you know why you lose hope? Do you know why it's easy to lose hope? Because we're living in the present and when you only live in the present, you have no sense of, of, of story. And what the Lord's Supper reminds us, it reminds us of a story that began here that we're brought into that will carry on and culminate in this great banquet. And when you have that sense of trajectory, then you have hope because you know, Jesus, you've done this. This is what you're doing. And so I know you're going to do this. So behold the meal. Behold the Lord's Supper. It's an all-encompassing story. I love it. There, there, there's a downward dimension to it. That in, 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 in the gospel, um, we don't reach up to God. We don't reach out to God. God comes to us. There's a backward dimension to it. Our rescue comes from a specific event that took place in history. A person is Jesus Christ and the event is his life, death, and resurrection. And this, the Lord's Supper directs, directs our attention forward. We know that life is not without hope. Our future hope is a great banquet with the resurrected Jesus. He will be our God and we will be his people forever. And it points upwards and it reminds us that history is not random, it's not meaningless, and it will not go on forever. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He bookends all of reality. And it tells us that murder and death and evil will not have the final word but Jesus will make all things right. And finally, it points upwards, or it points outwards, that this is a gift to the whole world. 
Uh, the global church, churches around the world right now are celebrating the Lord's Supper and, it, and it, it brings us together, it unifies us with brothers and sisters around the world. And finally, the Lord's Supper is an invitation to look inwards, to look inside your heart this morning. Do you have any idea how much Jesus loves you? Like just how much he loves you. And he knows everything about you. So where are you at in this story? Where is your life heading? I know some of you, for many of you, your life is heading, if you keep going in this direction, it's not going to turn out well. You have patterns in your life and you know if you keep going in this direction, you are toast. Your invitation is to come to the table and experience life. And so if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, the invitation is to come to the table. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the invitation is to come to the table. And that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to invite our communion service to come forward at this time. And I'm going to pray, and then I'll lead us into the Lord's Supper. So come forward. Let us pray. Jesus, we've been talking about you. This is your teaching. This is what you've given us. You're not a philosophy. You're not a worldview. You're not a concept. But you are personal and you're present with your people by your spirit. Thank you for this incredible gift of the bread and the wine. In this case, bread and juice. That has extraordinary meaning. Lord, we come to you. And by taking the bread, we say you are our head, you are the head of the church, and our lives will only work if they are aligned to you. As we take the juice, we're reminded of your atoning sacrifice, your shed blood on the cross that covers our sins, that where we receive forgiveness and we're renewed, and in you we are new creations, adopted sons and daughters of the Most High. This is a glorious, wonderful mystery. And as we come to the table this morning, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would speak these truths, not just into our heads, but right into our hearts. We ask this not in our own strength, but in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.